Hey everybody, welcome to The Smattering, where we ask the important questions about investing. I'm Jason Hall, joined by the voice of the people, Jeff Santoro. Hey, Jeff. Hello, friend. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm excited because we're doing something that we want to do more of. And the last time we did this, the first time we did this, was very well, very well received, Jeff. We have a guest. We do have a guest. He's our, he's our first guest, but our second guest, because we, did, we took a shot at this a couple months ago and had massive technical issues. So I'm, I'm glad we made it happen. Well, that's what, that's what happens with your first, right? Things get weird and it doesn't go how you expected. And this is going in a weird direction. I'm glad to know that I was your first fling, apparently. <laughs> Are you going to introduce me or am I just going to kind of stand in the back here? Oh, hey, hey everybody. Yeah, that's, that's our guest. Um, hey, Tyler Crow, How are you, buddy? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So Jeff and I are going to be talking with Tyler Crow, as you, as you just heard. Tyler is an engineer by training. Tyler, what, what, is, your, what, what is your engineering degree in? Uh, it's civil environmental. Civil environmental engineering. Jeff is, or uh, Tyler is, uh, he's also an investor. He's a writer and an editor. Part of how Tyler and I actually got to know each other about 10 years ago. Uh, let's see, what else has Tyler done? Tyler helped build a real estate investing service for which he is also currently an analyst. Uh, lived outside of the U.S. for most of the past decade. Tyler, I believe that's, that's right. I know you've lived uh, in Europe, uh, a couple different countries in Africa, and pretty tough places to live. Some of the poorest places in Africa you've lived in. Most recently, um, you're going to be going back there after you um, depart the U.S. again uh, in the country of Georgia, pretty close to the Russian border. You also you worked for NOAA, National Oceanic and <clears throat> Atmospheric Administration, back before the uh, um, Deepwater Horizon incident. So back in, I think, 2008, you said, um, helped cleaning up oil spills on the Gulf Coast. Also, Tyler, and I think this is the most important thing, and you'll I think you maybe you'll agree with me. You're married to an amazing human being and the father of two amazing, becoming amazing human beings, one of whom has just just joined your family back in October. Mazel tov on uh, number two, Tyler. Thank you. All of that is very true. And and let's be honest, Jason, when are we like, I say, hey, let's go hang out. It's because Jason wants to hang out with my wife and my kids rather than me, actually, because he's like, oh, God, I got to listen to this guy talk some more. But, you know, that that's more of an aside. Uh, yes. Uh, my well, second you, you, child also like, you also born. like good beer. Well, yeah. So at least when I come around, I bring a good beer. So <laughs> there's that. Um, yeah. Our second child was born end of October. His name's Roman. And uh, so I've got Raymond and Roman uh, running around the house. Um, <clears throat> I Jason did a pretty good job of explaining everything that I've done. I, 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 you could probably put me under that jack of all trades kind of guy, master of none. I'm, I'm very much like a, oh, the, the little Dutch boy who just runs around, sticks fingers in, in, in the dikes from time to time when, you know, something needs a, a an extra set of hands with, you know, whatever company I'm working for that I, I tend to just kind of jump in and fill in where is needed. Tyler, I think you, I think you're selling yourself a little bit short there. One of the things that I've I've learned from talking to a lot of investors over the years, talking to a lot of successful people, it, it, people that are well-rounded and have lots of different experiences and doing lots of different things. Often, when it comes to thinking about investing, particularly, 
because they have the ability to think about things in different ways a lot of times tend to tend to be some of the more successful people than people that maybe have a finance degree and then got an MBA and they've been in finance and that's all they've ever done. So people that have worked and been in the real world and think about the real world and different aspects of it, I think it's really valuable. And, and I think that's kind of what brings us to this particular episode. Tyler, what we're calling this is investing as a person. So when I, when I say that, Tyler, what does that, what does that mean to you? Cause this came like, this came to mind when we started talking about having you on the show really quickly, this was the idea. What, what does that mean to you? Yeah. I, I there's this part of me that that's has always looked at how we view investing, uh, through the lens of like the work that we have done, um, over the years, you know, picking stocks and for the most part, the objective of, picking individual stocks is typically you're looking to beat the market, right? Like you don't, if you're, you're looking you're for stocks picking, that will beat the index, the S and P 500 right. or whatever it may be. Right? right. Because like you don't go with, with a specific thing in mind, like, Oh, I'm going to pick stocks and, and lose. Like it, there's no point. Right. I mean, <laughs> if that's, if that's the case, I might as well be an institutional money manager because that's all they do. Um, that's, that's one of the first of many zingers from Tyler. Um, and to me, investing as an individual, the goals and the way in which you should rate yourself as an investor are drastically, drastically different than uh, institutions, in large part because for most people, um, investing as an individual, it's not your job. It's not you know, the thing that you spend every waking minute doing it, it's, it's a complement or a, an ancillary part of your life and making it, you know, consuming you to the point where you're looking to be the, uh, you know, market beater, the next Warren Buffett while you're managing your, your 401k is, I, I don't know. It just, it, it becomes less appealing over time, especially yeah. when you start thinking about the other things that matter with your time, the, your ability to do your regular nine to five job that puts the money in your investment account, uh, the time that you spend with your family, your children, uh, the time you spend on yourself with the hobbies and the, the passions and the things that you care about the most. And you, you start divvying up all that time and then you start going, well, where does that leave me for, you know, the world of investing? And it, it, it becomes a much, much smaller part of your life. I want to I sit on this for just a second, Tyler, because this is something that Jeff and I have I've talked about um, a, a lot in, in recent episodes. We did a four-part series called How We Invest. And, you know, in, in Jeff and I in this with the podcast, one of the ways we compliment each other is, Tyler, you know, you and I, have we've been colleagues for a decade. We've worked together on some of the real estate stuff you've done. You recruited me in to help build some of the, some of the things there. We've worked together covering the energy markets for a long time. Like you said, this is, this is what we do, right? This is what we do. Jeff um, is a passionate, you know, we, we call him the, the voice of the people, right? And part of that's because he's, he's got a real job, you know, a 40 plus hour job. And he's just passionate about, picking stocks and investing. So he's one of those people that's looking for the hours to do that. Jeff, I, you, anything to add, anything to add on that? Well, no, what, 
I think what jumps out to me listening to what Tyler was just saying is, you know, we are all playing any individual investor, whether it's someone who does it like does work in that field like you guys do, or even someone like me for whom it's a hobby, we're still all playing a very different game than like the um the financial industry and and the the big fund managers and and the institu- institutional investors are and the thing that jumped out to me was like but so much of what we hear out in like the world of of media and on the internet is sort of driven by not what we're all doing but driven by the institutional investors and the big funds and you know sometimes you get big movements in the stock and it's simply because a big fund bought it or sold it, you know, and it's like, so it, it's or just almost, the, it was reported that they did it, right? right? Not even necessarily the amount that they did it. Yeah. So I think that's what jumped out to me, you know, just at, at first, you know, first listen of what Tyler was saying is like, not only are we all kind of doing a different game than these big industri- uh, institutional investors are, but like what we hear about out in the world is more their side of that game than ours. Tyler, I think one thing um, kind of to build on that, and I have a, I have a question for you. Uh, in our, in our um, how we invest series, one of the things I talked about was when I first got started. Um, I was I had a nine to five job outside of the finance world, and I found the Motley Fool. Right, and I joined one of the the newsletter services, and I did that because there was a track record of success, right, long track record of success, and I needed to outsource something, right, to find those great stock ideas, because that's like a very time intensive thing. So I think, and again, that's, I think it's important. I think it's a valuable thing to find those sorts of services that can help with that kind of thing. But the downside, and this is tied to my question, is that that leads people to like the CNBCs of the world. I'm not saying CNBC in and of itself is bad, but so much of what they do is about the, the old media motto. If it bleeds, it leads, Right. You got, you got to, it's the things that are noisy and loud that, that, and flashy that get people's attention and keep them tuned in. So the minute you, you can't just say, be calm and buy the index and check back in 10 years, because nobody's going to watch that. Right. And that's not going to bring <laughs> advertisers. And then you think about the, the financial services industry. There's some really good people out there. There's some good people that the, th- the three of us are engaged with on Twitter that are trying to do things to support clients and not have, you know, diametrically opposing interests and that conflict that we see a lot, like business models that are based on transactions. Um, that when we know like all the evidence is abundantly clear, that's you know, transactional investing is the worst thing for, for retail investors, right? It costs so much money. You waste time you pay more tax, like all the shit we know is, is a problem. So my question for you is thinking about this, thinking about all of those challenges and where you are as an investor, how, how have you evolved from, and, and, and thinking about the industry broadly, what do you think are some of the, the challenges that a lot of other retail investors, I'm going to use that term, continue to deal with? I, I think that it's, Hmm. It's a good question. And it's, it's one that is it for me personally, and, and it's, it's hard to, to, to expand beyond that, uh, with us all being in, in different stages for me, it's learning how to separate, um, me, the individual investor and what my goals are as Tyler Crow 
you know, father, household father, kind of managing the finances of my family versus Tyler Crow uh, making analyst picks for, you know, various various services, writing about stocks, things like that, where there's two, there are two things that are kind of different. Like on the job side, it's trying to identify those companies and trying to do those things versus that other side. It's just the North, the North star is growing wealth and putting your family in a, in, or in a, in a situation where you want to be well, I guess the, for a lack of a better term, absent of financial hardship yeah. and making for a comfortable life. Right. And those can be do two very different things as, as much as they, they overlap in some ways, you know, my individual uh, goals aren't always going to tie with stock picker guy. Yeah. Um, I, I think a great example is, is a lot of time people ask like your individual track record, right. Of like, you know, how, how your stocks perform. And to be honest on my individual side, I don't care as much about the performance of the stocks themselves because part of your personal returns like you as the individual generating returns it's not really returns it's generating wealth part of that equation is how much money you put away because that there is you know your track record of doing something good for that north star of creating wealth that is just as important as you know your stocks going up or your investments going up, whether it be real estate, bonds, it doesn't matter what it actually is, as long as it's generating returns. And so, having to separate, like, well, you know, my individual portfolio, I don't know because maybe a lot of it is because I've been tucking money away, and I'm not going to be tracking like the difference between money put away and performance of the actual stocks versus over on the job side, and so. Those you, are some like, some of the nuances. You track them differently, yeah, the, right? Yeah, and there's it's the nuances of like the distinct difference between the two of how at you as the individual, what is your north star? I don't feel like anybody's individual north star should be I want to beat the index. Like that's that's not your overarching goal as a human. Like what does that matter? You're you're not you're not trying to attack attract institutional money you're not trying to attract other people to buy into your system that's what yeah like beating market or trying to uh, you know get other people to listen to you is all about right as an individual it's just uh, grow the wealth make yourself financially independent uh, or whatever reason it is that you need to grow your wealth i want to i want to circle back on a couple things there tyler because i th- I, th- I think there's some really good points, right? So kind of back to the beginning, talking about when you're, when you're picking individual stocks, when you're buying individual stocks, if, and I think we have to think about it like in aggregate, right? So obviously on an individual stock level, you buy it because you expect that it's going to accomplish, help you accomplish whatever your financial goal is, right? Whether it's creating wealth, it's generating stable income and growing that, right? Dividends, whatever it happens to be, right? So like checking off that box, but in aggregate, you look at your entire equities portfolio and you benchmark it against something, right? It's, you're not going to 
go pick individual stocks if they're not going to be able to do better than some prepackaged thing that somebody else is already building that you could just buy instead, right? So think, think about the S&P 500 versus individual stocks. So thinking, so thinking about that, right? And then getting to, hang on, hang on, stay with me here, stay with me here. And then getting to your goals, which shouldn't be to beat the market. Yes, if, you, if you're buying individual stocks, you should, you should if you're going to spend the damn time to do it, Yes, if you love doing it, that's great. But if you're spending the time to do that at the sacrifice of times you could be doing other things that you like more and you're not getting some sort of alpha, right? Meaning better performance than whatever a benchmark is. What the hell are you doing, right? So that, but your goal as an investor, as a not even as an investor, investing as a human, your goal as a human is whatever the finish line is, right? It's to have enough in your retirement account to generate $200,000 a year in income when you retire, because that's the number you know you're going to need, right? It's to have $150,000 in juniors 529, right? By the time he's you know, gra- graduating from high school, right? So, so having hard numbers that you've, those are the goals, right? Mm-hmm. And beating the market is a bullshit goal to get there. If you're talking about the January 2000 peak and the March 2009 bottom, when the S and P lost 30%, right? Beating the market doesn't do shit for you. It has to be generating a certain level of actual return. Right. I think, I think that's what you're getting to here, right? Yeah. And in that regard too, it doesn't, you know, you're just talking about it as, picking stocks, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the basis for every financial decision that we make here. Like there are a lot of other options that can be very attractive at different times. I mean, private real estate is a place where you can generate cash returns or returns uncorrelated to what you're doing in the stock market. Uh, At a time when we're talking about very, very high interest rates, all of a sudden things like seven, eight, nine percent corporate bonds look pretty attractive too again in, in the point of like almost thinking of it like in football where it's like you know sometimes you just kick the field goal to take the points right like if if you know that you're going to be in, in that safe set in that sense of like you know i know that i just want to generate returns and if i know like oh this is a corporate you know a corporate bond at, at a good rate or a, a backed by a, a reasonably good company that's probably going to pay its debts and it's getting an 8%, you know, interest rate. That's those, those are the sort of things that we, you, you know, you can think about it a little bit differently. We don't have to bind ourselves to the idea that it's, it's purely going to come from the stock market. It's, it's uh, uh, that, that again goes back to the game of just beating the index that then you you become so anchored to the idea that this index is what I have to do to beat it. And it's like, no, it's 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 about growth. It's about setting things aside in a way that they are going to grow. You're not going to, you know, overexpose yourself to unnecessary risks that could substantially lose money for you. Uh, and it, that, to me, is is what matters. Like you're, you're just building that platform. I think I think there's a part of it too. 
if you're thinking about investing through the lens of meeting a goal, you know, it reminds me of the very, I think the second episode we ever did on this podcast, which was what, what is your enough? Um, but if you're thinking about investing to reach a goal or multiple goals, there, it, it also ties to your just personal financial discipline and, and habits, right? So like when you get to retirement age, do you have a ton of debt? You know, do you have like an enormous mortgage and are, are leasing three cars and paying for your kids' college on credit? You know, like that's a big part of the goal too. Like you can beat the market for your entire investing career, but if you're not a good saver and you spend too much and you have a lot of debt when you retire, it sort of doesn't matter. You know, you can you can hold your your investment prowess up in the air and you're still going to have to work until you're 75, <laughs> you know? So I think that's an important aspect of it too. Tyler, build, building on that, what's, what do you think is, is the one factor or maybe the most important things, if there's not one that just stands out, um, b- behind your financial success? Hmm. Oh, you know, I had a, a an answer when we first said this, when we first recorded this, and, and I spent a lot of time kind of thinking about it again. And, you know, I, I think I said something about, you know, I, you know, I live abroad, I have some great cost of living arbitrage and, and some other things like that. So it's been, I've kind of been a super saver in that sense, right? But I think the thing that has to me felt like has made me a more resilient investor and, and able to handle what you could call the panics and the, the, or the euphorias of investing is, this is going to sound strangely revealing, but you know, dealing with previous emotional traumas in your life can really bring these things into perspective just a small example. I, I, I did spend a little bit of time homeless uh, back in 2006, 2007. Um, did help put certain things in perspective uh, in terms of money, in terms of pride, in terms of panic, what matters, um, things like that. Uh, some other things that where when those things happen to you, all of a sudden the panic of, I don't know, my the amount of money in my savings account went down 10% a day. It, it, it doesn't seem to register as much. And the ability to tolerate that and keeping it in perspective related to the things that have happened in your life makes it a lot easier, I guess, to, to handle it. Or maybe not easier, but just you're, you have built up the, the ability to, to handle those kind of blows. What, there's, I think there's more, more to it too. Um, so you, you've gone through those experiences yourself, um, but you've also gone through, you've lived in places that contextualize what, you know, being in a bad place here, you know, in, in the U S is like versus that you, you lived in Malawi, you know, that's one of the poorest countries on the planet. <clears throat> And you I also seen, lived in the Gambia, which was know, also one of the five poorest. So I've lived right, in two right. of the five poorest countries in the on the in the world right now. So uh, con- contrast well, for me, like your your personal experiences um, with extreme poverty, um, with what you've seen in other parts of the world, and how how has that influenced the the way that you invest? Well, certainly from a perspective, it, it you know one of the things that 
it always does is it, it makes you understand the resiliency of humans. Like as much as we may panic about our money being gone, you can learn to get by on less. And there is a, there's a, there's a resourcefulness and innovativeness to everyone in any situation that, you know, that preserves life and that life will go on. And, and we can talk about it being easier or harder for others, but we all, uh, one thing that everyone, you know, has the ability to do within them is, is, is get along and, and keep moving forward. And it's always, it's encouraging to see that at all times, but as far as like how it's shaped my investing, uh, world, you know, I've always kind of tended towards commodities, energy, oil, and gas, just because to me, they always seemed essentials to life. And Tyler, it, you've told me that it's much easier to understand basic materials than it is to understand people. And that's influenced how you, how you invest. For the most part. Yeah. Like, I, especially when it comes to like personal taste and, you know, uh, what is popular or things like that. I, I'm very, very bad at that. It seems like whenever I, I, a company that I'm like, oh man, this is awesome. Why doesn't everybody else want to buy from them six months later they're bankrupt um who knows but to me you know you see we we should come up with like a 2x um what are the what are those the etfs the inverse a 2x uh, inverse etf on tyler's the reverse ETF. yeah consumer yeah do you know what would be on there uh blue nile and blue apron guess what we we loved I like the idea of it's like oh uh, online buying jewelry like right. diamonds. There were the the, like the diamonds people, Blue Nile. Yeah, great idea. Like I, I we bought my wedding ring or engagement ring from them and wedding rings. We thought it was great. Company can't make money to save their lives. Same thing with Blue Apron. Where like how why wouldn't people want to do this more often? Food comes to you. They tell you what's on the menu. You know, color by numbers for cooking every night instead of like I don't know buying some frozen piece of crap and look at it it's a penny stock yeah that that so that, goes, that, that minor you know grocery stores run on one percent operating yeah. margins thing kind of yeah either way products i love companies that suck one thing you you start to understand is is as much as you know we move up the hierarchy of needs in life there is a massive 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 uh need on the lower tiers of the hierarchy of needs, whether it be water, food, shelter, uh, power, the, the, the things that we, for the most part, take for granted and, and barely even think about uh, in, in our everyday lives uh, that just happen, right? Like the trash comes, gets picked up on Tuesday. It doesn't necessarily happen everywhere else. And it's things like that that really bring into perspective, like, how much of an opportunity there is globally for those sort of things. And that it, it, it is shaped the way that I think about some of those things that we look at as like, Oh, old, boring, you know, no growth sort of markets because, you know, Oh, because the, the develop the OECD nations have got this stuff figured out. Well, those nations only represent about 30 to 25% of the global population. So if you think of it on that terms, there's a lot of people out there that could really use a lot of those things. And it, it, it really reframes how you want to think about 
how you invest, at least for me personally. So, yeah, that's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you talk, you talk about, we, we talk about the toolbox a lot, you know, and, and, you know, this is one of those things where one of the tools I think is really important is to develop the ability to like identify your biases and try to work around them or within them. And I think this is a good example of, of, you know, kind of, you know, it's almost a recency bias thing where we, the, we just assume we see the trash trucks, we see the credit card readers, we, you know, all of those things that we turn on the tap and water comes out and it's clean water for mo- for most of us. I'm not trying to be glib, but um, in, and then we just project, right? We either extrapolate that to the rest of the world or we project it out and we assume, well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's no good investments in, there's no growth there. I'm going to buy, you know, a SaaS company. I'm not going to buy a water company, right? I'm not going to buy, a, a, a waste solid waste company, right? And just because we extrapolate and say, well, these are little tiny, they're, they're little tiny growth companies. They've consolidated already. They already have all the market share. And what you're saying is, sure, here, <laughs> but it's just scratching the surface of what's going on in the rest of the world. And to me, and Jeff, I think you want to weigh in here too, but to me, I think one of the things that's interesting is that you see a certain measure of predictability, with these types of companies. I think that's one of the things I've observed about you is that you tend to look for companies that have some predictability with their business for, for various reasons. You want to, you want to weigh in? Go ahead. Go ahead, Jeff. Well, I was just going to say it, it, this part of our conversation reminds me of the very first thing we were talking about earlier, which is the whole idea of trying to beat the market as your, as your North star versus just, you know, creating the wealth you need to live a comfortable later part of your life. Um, because so much of the investing community, and I'm putting that in air quotes on this audio medium, um, is around like, what is the, what's the stock you bought that went to the moon that you sold and paid off your mortgage? You know, like it's these like crazy success stories because you bought Amazon in 1997 or you bought monster beverage, you know, 25 years ago, and it was the biggest winning stock of the last 25 years, all those crazy stories. When in reality, if you just had 40 or 50 years in the market, with a bunch of trash collection companies, utilities, you know, these slow growing, boring things, you're going to be just fine in terms of like retiring comfortably, you know, but it's the whole psychology. No one wants to get rich slowly piece of it that I think, you know, and I think your background, Tyler, specifically having lived where you've lived and experienced what you've experienced sort of like opened your eyes maybe to that aspect of investing more than, you know, your average Joe investor who, you know, is watching financial media and learning about this tech company and that cloud SaaS company and getting caught up in all that excitement. Um, and not just thinking about, you know, the anchor stocks that you can sort of use as a foundation for an investment investing portfolio. Yeah. And it, I, to be fair, it, perhaps it's a little bit easier to do what, I have done or the choices that I've made in my, in the way I want to invest because I'm still young enough that like, there's a lot of, what does it call it? The range of tolerance, I guess you could say of, you know, where outcomes become successful versus unsuccessful. You know, if, if you start 
when you're 29, you know, I wasn't, I'm not like some wonder kid. It's like, Oh, I I started love picking stocks when I was 17 years old. And now, you know, 20 years later, no, like, you know, I got in my late twenties and through my twenties and thirties have, have gone there. But, you know, I started thinking about it. It's like, well, if, if things work out, I'm here, I'm going to stick around for another 50. So like, I kind of need this to stick around for a really long time versus like, you know, you know, if you start in your late forties, early fifties and start having that, you know, puckered butthole moment of going, holy shit, I don't have any money for retirement. I don't know. Can we swear on this? So we might have to edit that out. I apologize. Um, but never apologize for, for speaking from your heart. Okay. But, and you have that moment and then all of a sudden your, your, your successful outcome options become much, much lower. And you do have to take on those risks that to me at my phase in life seem unnecessary. And, well, that's the thing, right? You, you end up inverting like what a successful investing framework should look like is, is it makes sense to risk on when you have more time to offset that risk, right? Because you're, if you're risking on, it's because you should be able to attain potential higher returns, right? By mixing that risk in. So you give yourself more time to, to grow through that, that risk, right? But like you said, what happens to so many people, they don't. Jeff, you've talked about your, you know, your journey with kind of being a little suspicious of the 401k, the, well, the 403b, right? The, the, and, and not putting in very much and not making it a percentage of your, your pay so it didn't go up. And luckily, you figured things out before, you, before it was too late. But so many people, and next thing they know, they're 50, right? And they're planning to retire at 67, right? Or 65. And now they're trying to catch up. And they take on too much risk at a time when they don't have the time to offset potentially making some bad decisions. But at the same time, that risk has become more necessary because that they haven't made the decisions earlier right. that would have given that wider spectrum of successful outcomes. You know, like here's, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, like sto- the, the, the traditional financial uh, advice, like, oh, you can take more risks when you're young. Why? Why should you take more risks when you're young? You've got way longer to accumulate wealth. And if you're not worried about like retiring at 36, why bother? Like why do that to yourself to take on the extra risks because you can lose it? That, that seems unnecessary. I, I think I agree with what you're saying. I, I think of it as like, so I think the story that like Jason might've been referencing that I've talked about before was just, I was, I, some, when I was 22 and just starting my career, I had a financial person put me in just a really conservatively allocated like a uh, retirement account. Um, mm-hmm. you know, not nearly as much just not I'm not talking individual stocks, I'm just talking exposure to stocks, you know, writ large. When I had the time to let all of that data that says in over the long run that's that's the um investment, you know, tool that will gain you the the, the best return. Um I I think that is where the more risk when you're younger thing makes sense, but not necessarily like I'm 22 YOLO. Here's a hundred thousand dollars on Dogecoin, not that kind of risk. Um, but to me, it was more of a risk of like, I put myself behind the eight ball in terms of just making sure I have enough money to retire because, you know, even if I was a great saver, like I'm, 
you're going to lose to inflation, even in a low inflation environment. So, um, I think it, you know, it just, it, it boils down to like the different ways of, of looking at risk. I think when it comes to that longer term horizon question. Yeah, no, I, I want to, I want to circle back on this a little bit more because I think it's, it's, it's really interesting. And also I think there's a part of this that I think we should peel the layers back a little bit because thinking about risk and, and for those that have heard me say it before, just say with, sit, sit with me. I think this is the kind of thing that it's helpful to hear all the time. With stocks and then the stock market, we kind of have, there's really two different pieces of risk, right? So with you buy a stock in a company, there are two pieces of the risk, right? There's the individual company risk, right? It's a bad company. The stock was priced too high. The management failed to meet expectations and the stock price fell because of something the company did or didn't do, right? Or the company actually fails, right? They, they make a bad acquisition. Like one of those things happens that undermines the thesis and the stock loses value maybe permanently or maybe for a very long time, right? So that's a company level risk, right? And then we also have volatility. That can be a company level thing with a stock level risk, but it's also a stock market level risk too, right? And it's the kind of thing that when I think about risk, that investors with long time horizons, I think that's the kind of risk that risking on generally makes sense for. Because again, the reality, Tyler, and I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Generally, we think about equities. We think about fixed income. We kind of think of them as, to a certain extent, kind of offsetting tools, right? Equities generally over the long term are going to give you better total returns than fixed income, right? That's why you risk capital and ownership versus being the debt holder, right? Is to get potential higher returns because you now have the risk of owning the business. If you buy the S&P 500 index fund and a, a company, a, you know, a $10 billion company goes bankrupt, it's such a tiny portion of the index that the individual company risk doesn't exist, right, anymore. So it's just all, at this point, it's all volatility risk, which means that if you're 55 and you know you're going to retire at 60 or 65, and it's January 2000, and you're 100% exposed to stocks, and you don't have a $10 million portfolio, right? You have like a regular person portfolio that you can't afford to lose 20 or 30% and to have a protracted period of downtime, right? So that's the volatility. And when I say risk on, that's kind of what I'm talking about, not just like the individual company risk. But I think you hit on something really important because it does get back to outlining what are your actual goals? What the hell are you trying to do and when are you trying to do it? And I think that's something that you are really good at. So I'd like for you to kind of weigh a little bit on, on, on all of, all of that big mess that I just kind of laid out there. Yeah. It's kind of going back to, you know, the idea of what's your goal and then are you being directionally good towards that goal? Again, we're, we're humans. We're not, we're not, the algorithms were not uh, as much as we all want to be him. None of us are ever going to be Warren Buffett. Um, the, we're we're the also idea. not the target audience for the 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 
the sell side analysts rating upgrade or downgrade or initiation coverage that we see on the Yahoo Finance ticker feed or MSN or whatever it may be, right? That that's that doesn't have a damn thing to do with us. And if it's free, you get what you pay for, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's being directionally good for where you are in in your life phase. Like, I should I be moving towards, like you said, a little bit of fixed income? Maybe. I don't know. I'm still relatively young, uh, but if there are uh, uh, the right opportunities in fixed income today, it, it would be worth it, especially at a time when we're looking at, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot more compelling to, I guess you could say, like I was saying, take the points on, on fixed income when it's six, 7% versus, yeah. uh, you know, two, one, two. I, I, I do remember, and I, this is going to be a, a tangent. I, apologize if we're already getting long in the tooth here but it's something that's always stood out to me i don't know why but you know doing the obligatory reading of uh, ben graham's uh book he does he has this thing where he's like why would i risk you know why would i risk being in equities when i can just get a railroad bond that yields nine percent i was like thanks ben when am i ever going to get a nine percent uh, yield on a corporate bond read a triple a yeah, ever again right so that's from and, the intelligent investor. Yeah, that was from the intelligent investor, and it, it, it goes back to that idea of like, yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm meandering a little bit here, but it's the idea of like when there when the opportunity does present itself to take the directionally good option. Yeah, you should take it. Um, like you said, if if you're later in your life, maybe you're a little behind. But maybe it's still the sound idea to make that directionally good mo- movement towards the safer idea, the the locking in what you do have. Yeah. Um, whether well, it's be- there's there is there is a worse thing when you absolutely need to catch up, when you absolutely need to generate more wealth for retirement because it's getting close. There is a worse thing than not generating a high enough return, and that's actually losing capital, right? Right. Yeah. And, you know, we can argue, well, you're, you, you might be losing to inflation, but there are directionally good ideas that can more or less maintain pace with that for a while. And if we need, if you need to change it up, there, there are options to do that. Um, it, but again, we're not perfect. We're not going to come in and, and, you know, nail the timing of the market ever. If, if you are, then you're, Maybe you should be the one with a 500 billion AUM and on CNBC all the time talking your book. Uh, but um, rather than focus on on that, it's just focusing on the, okay, is this going to get me to where I need to be? And I think for the most part, when you, you keep that perspective in mind, it's going to free you up a lot, not just in your investing life, but just in your personal life. Like, yeah, I could spend an extra five, six hours reading 10 Ks this week, or I could go spend time with my kids or I could, you know, maybe get, try to sneak nine holes of golf in while everyone's asleep, you know, something like that, where those aren't going to help me create a better return in life, but it's certainly going to help me enjoy the time that we have on this planet a lot more. And that, that matters a lot. Tyler Crow, I have to say I can, you know, it's, it's amazing how you've involved, not just evolved, not just as an investor and as a human, but I can remember a time when your idea of fun wasn't sneaking in a round of golf 
while everybody was still sleeping. It was continuing to argue about oil and gas stocks. Well, oh, that's just because nobody wants to argue with me anymore. They're okay, done with right. it. I they, was gonna say, they worked I was it gonna out. Say, I was going to say. But, the, only, the only person who would be on the other side of that argument is you, Jason, I think. Yes, yes. And we may have been drunk and everybody else may have already been asleep. Tyler, this has been a lot of fun. And um, let's just say we're going to continue this conversation in the future. Sounds great. Thanks for letting me join in. Okay, friends. Thanks for this. Thanks for going on this journey again with us today while we give our answers to life's tough investing questions. We got some good answers from Tyler Crow, our guest this episode. But of course, I'd like to remind you, it's up to you to find your answers to these questions out there. I still believe in you. You can do it. Hey, Jeff. See you next time, buddy. See you next time.